0: Okay, so um, just go ahead and tell me a little bit about your background and the situation that you were uh, born and brought up into.
1: Well, I was born into a family. um, My mother was a victim and my dad was an alcoholic. Hmm. Um, We tried to lead a normal life, but as far back as I can remember, I remember the alcoholism and I understood what it was. I remember the physical violence that was placed both on my mother and myself. that was pretty much the first 10 years of my life. Hmm.
0: Um, What happened... um, So when you are about 10, what happened that that changed that?
1: On my 10th birthday, my mother had my father serve with divorce papers. Hmm. And he had to leave the home. Hmm. And that was... I mean, that was after years of... I can remember my mom being thrown out of a vehicle. I can remember being whipped or spanked or paddled to the point where I just laughed and said, that don't hurt anymore. Hmm. Um... But it was, it was what our family needed. Mm. And at the time, I didn't know that. I, I grew a lot of anger towards my mom because I was daddy's girl, and she made my dad leave. Mm. So then the anger and rage, I started acting out towards my mother.
0: Mm. Why do you think she, she stayed that long or, or allowed that to go on that long?
1: Um, she wanted to keep the family together and fear.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: there, there, it, was, it was violent. It was very violent situations.
0: So you were saying that when that happened, you, in some weird way, you sided with your dad because of the, when it was good with your dad, it was really good or or that kind of thing? Yes.
1: When it was good with my dad, it was great. It was awesome. Mm -hmm. It was, you know, like I said, I was daddy's little girl. I was his little sidekick mechanic that carried the tools and (laughs) helped him work on everything and in his little workshop and went to work with him and flew airplanes with him. So it was, it but was, it, it was also
0: very clear that he was the one doing yes. that stuff. You know what I mean? Yes. So what was that like? How did that work in your brain? Like that, those conflicting things.
1: I think. <laughs> I think at that age, when that moment happened, when my mom made my dad leave, um, I wanted to be with my dad. I didn't care about the bad things. I cared that I, I didn't see them. I saw only the good, hmm. and I wanted to be with him.
0: And that speaks to how. Sweet childhood is, I guess. Um, So tell me about as you went into middle school and high school and all that stuff.
1: Well, going into middle middle school and high school is when, um, I I don't know to say if it was a coping mechanism or I just wanted to do what I could do to rebel. But um, I was in a private Catholic school. Hmm. So, of course, I rebelled on that. I started acting up my freshman year at a private Catholic high school. I was asked to leave. Hmm uh because the nun teachers were afraid of me and not that I was doing anything bad but I was a little you know all black Celtic cross upside down kind of foul mouth <laughs> little girl um mm. started smoking started drinking because my mom at that point in time was present during the day to make a living and pay the bills but at night she was trying to find herself but in the bars or bar hopping around bringing a couple men home here and there
2: mm.
1: um so, me and my friend across the street, we would sneak out and drink, and we thought we were cool, and we were the, you know, the bad kids of the block.
0: Yeah, I mean, when your mom is doing that, it's not like you have any reason to hold back on attempting to do it I, yourself, I guess. No. Right? I mean, it's not like she's leading the example of of how you should do, you know, male-female relationships. That's very odd that you were in Catholic school. That just did not <laughs> It doesn't go with the rest of the story, but... It does not. Um, do you think... I assume they were doing that to think, like, well, this will offset all the bad stuff. Like, if we put her in Catholic school, they'll straighten her out or whatever. Uh, or I don't know. But um, the other thing about Catholic school is because that environment is sort of unnecessarily authoritarian in ways it doesn't have to be, uh, I think it's just... It would make it harder to have a relationship with God in a sweet way. Absolutely. Um, after that, versus someone who went to a normal public school, it would actually, I think, be you know easier to to not have real messed up um, view of God because those things are weirdly intertwined. The weird abusive power and God are really close together when you when those are your uh, seniors or whatever the people telling you what to do. Um, yeah. So just throughout middle school and, and high school, just sort of playing the the edgy, bad kid. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> so let's go from there. What happened after that?
1: Well, um, I actually pushed God out of my life. Um, around the age of 14, I realized that my dad was the, the bad guy. Um, mm. My mom met a man who soon became my stepfather, and then my dad was with a woman, and he was physically violent with her, but she was strong enough, she gave it right back to him. Mm. And that's when I realized I don't, I don't want to be here anymore. I don't mm. want to be around this. Um, I went back to my mom.
0: How was your stepdad? What, um, was, what was he like?
1: Well in the beginning he was the perfect image of a stepdad and he too had alcohol problems that I didn't know until a little while into it. And that also played into situations where he was being physically violent with both me and my mother. Mm. Um, to the point where I was about sixteen years old, and I wanted to defend my family, and it ended up putting me into a behavioral health center hmm. because I was that problematic to defend my mother against my stepfather, and she had him she he had her convinced that I needed help hmm. Um, hmm.
0: what was that What was that moment like because? Part of you definitely knows it's not normal because you know that all the people you go to school with and all that, that they're that's not their normal. So you know it's not normal. You know it's bad. But there's this other part of you that's always had it your whole life, the abuse and stuff. So it kind of is normal. Like, what what is that like being in your head where... I guess what I'm getting at is we have this thing where we have sort of residual pain from things that happen where um, something bad happens so many times that it became normal and we sort of take on responsibility that's not ours or we take on blame that's not ours or something Um, anything related to that um, idea
1: Um, No, at at that point in life, there was no no turmoil. It was not normal and it was not gonna happen Hmm. where I lived Um, I had actually right okay, so you really
0: had broke you were really you were done. (laughs) You're done with it Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I got you. Well good for you in that in that circumstance. So you went to a You went to some like troubled youth Home or something
1: well, it was a charter charter behavioral health center of Augusta, and it was for children that were um And I was shocked at the age of some of these kids. We're talking two years old. Mm. Um, Suicidal, um, homicidal tendencies, depressed. Mm. Um, It was just a facility to really rehabilitate the youth. Mm. And it was, I didn't fit in there.
0: Yeah, what was that experience like?
1: I hated every second of it. Mm. From the moment I was in the back of the cop car, knowing where I was heading, to the Mm. moment I arrived, to the fact that um, they had to classify me as A manic depressive with suicidal and homicidal thoughts and tendencies in order for the insurance to pay for it. Wow. Um, I didn't fit in. I didn't like not having my shoelaces.
0: Hmm.
1: I didn't like having to sleep where you know I was supervised like somebody watching me all the time. Hmm. Um, I just wanted to go home. Hmm. I I knew what got me there but I was trying to protect my mom. Hmm.
0: Um, Did the people that worked there did they believe those labels like did they know that you were labeled all that for insurance or yes. did they really what i'm saying is did they really think that you had that you were gonna like hurt someone or did they know like we had to kind of ramp it up so insurance would cover it or something
1: they knew it was yeah. all for insurance i was the only patient there not medicated hmm. not once did they prescribe me anything um hmm. and they they knew
0: that's sort of weirder in, in, in another way um yeah what happened after that that's crazy
1: Well, in there, I was introduced to drugs because Mm. they educated you about it. Um, I was in there for three months. I got out, and I had to do schooling. So I had to go there every day for school. I wasn't able to go back to regular school until the program had been completed. Um, Mind you, this is coming from – I was never problematic. I didn't cause any problems at school, no write-ups, no suspensions, no anything like that. Mm. Um, But when I got out and I knew about these drugs – Once I was free and clear of the drug screens that they did when you went up there, me and my stepbrother decided to get a little marijuana and we started smoking weed just to rebel even more. We're in the same house with my mom and my stepdad. um, And just rebelling like normal teenagers, at least at the time I thought it was normal teenagers.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah, just keep going.
1: My stepdad got sick. Something it wasn't epilepsy, but something happened, and he started having seizures. And he ended up going into a facility. And through all the fights and struggles, that changed his life,
2: Hmm.
1: which was really awesome because it changed our lives as well. He actually became the the father figure that we needed him to be. Because I I I called him Dad after that.
0: Hmm. How did he change? I mean, maybe tell me stuff, but
1: he he laid the alcohol down. Oh, wow. The alcohol for him was the problem. He would drink from the time he woke up in the morning to the time he went to bed at night, and if he had to get up to use the bathroom or anything like that during the night, he was going to take a drink. Mm. So he was a, he was a functioning alcoholic, I guess. Yeah. Is that what they call it?
0: Yeah. And then so the violence and all that sort of... Everything went away. Mm. Wow. Um, yeah, let's just go from there. What happened, what happened after that?
1: Well, what happened in my life after that mm-hmm. is after I got out, I went back to work. I worked at the Waffle House in Augusta. And uh, I met my soulmate. Um, he is the father of my three children. Um, we were on and get on again and off again, on again and off again. Neither one of us had Christ in our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, we both smoked weed. He sold weed. We decided at one point in time, we had two children by this time. I was 20 years old. Um, decided we'd move up to Madison to be near his family. And we got up this way. And things changed between me and my husband. He just wasn't um, into me, I guess. Mm. And I asked him what I needed to do for him to be into me. And it was just drug-related because I laid it down we moved up this way. And he wanted me to be back on smoking weed. Because I think back then that was probably the biggest, baddest drug maybe. In our world anyways.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so he just... He thought you had sold him something different than who you were sober, basically? Yes. Hmm. So, yeah, so where do you go when that happens, like, mm.
1: hmm. started smoking weed again. <laughs> um, things when we first moved up this way were a little rough. My youngest child had an encounter that no parent wants to have to go through or deal with, um, so it kind of hurt a little bit.
2: Hmm.
0: Tell me about that. You don't have to go into any more detail than you want to. Just, I just have to ask.
1: Um, it was just a one-year-old child mm. treated in a manner that she shouldn't be treated. Mm. And it and it really hurt for their dad being the ma- a male. Um, it was in care of a babysitter. Mm. But it just hurt to flip your world around mm. and uh, think that you let your child be in that situation. Mm. And not knowing, you know...
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, so let's just keep going from there.
1: It it brought a little hurt, started drinking. Mm. Um, The next, I don't know, eight years were an on and off off again blur of uh, fights, no stability, um, struggles with finances, moving from here to there and there and here. Um, My husband had brought... Well let me backtrack. By this by then we had at twenty six I had our third child and by then he had brought a substance into our life that I didn't know at first. He was a log truck driver. Mm. Um, but I know when you make that kind of money you don't come home broke. And I noticed that his traits were off and finally figured out what it was and he was doing crack. Mm. Um, I put up such a fight on it, and I can remember the days that it was just it was a nightmare. Mm. I figured the ugly words and the vulgar actions would make him stop, mm. but it didn't. And in order for him to keep going, he introduced it into my life without me knowing, because I was still smoking weed. Mm. So I had a weed pipe laced with a crack rock. Mm. And that um, that that's a one one-track thing. There's no turning back from that. Mm. So I spent We spent 10 months of our life strung out. Um, Never neglected our kids. They were always taken care of. We might not have been the best housekeepers, but they were always taken care of. But we didn't see the damage that we were doing to them. They did go without things that kids should have. Um, Well, from there, I got a job at a barn grill on Lake Oconee and made friends and of course that wasn't the best place to make friends because drinking was at its finest at that point in time, mm. smoking weed. Um, I talked to one little girl and she was telling me that there there was a cheaper way mm. instead of crack. There was a cheaper drug and I brought it home. I didn't know what it was um, and it was methamphetamine and when I say I didn't know what it was, to the point when I went before the judge, I'm still going, no, it wasn't meth, it was ice. <laughs> um,
0: Right, you genuinely didn't know what it was. I, right? Yeah, I
1: didn't I didn't know. Um, so we, we dabbled in that for a little while. By this time, we'd found some kind of financial stability, even though we were using narcotics. Um, we bought our own home. Hmm. Um, my husband's mom, my kid's grandmother, got sick. And it was the kind of sick where she was in the hospital for three months. Two months, sorry, two months. Um, we stopped everything. One well, of the kids went with my mom in Augusta. Mm. And uh, we stayed at the hospital and watched her fight for her life. Mm. Um, it wasn't, she didn't come out on top.
2: Mm.
1: She ended up passing away. And mm. that was a real heartbreak for my husband
2: because
1: mm. he's a mama's boy. Um, so it was a lot of struggles. That was January of 2009. So for the next 15 months, uh, the drug usage on his end got worse i was I was tired I'd laid down crap because i was just i was tired of that lifestyle and I was really just smoking weed and he was using meth. I used it for the first the last few months of two thousand and nine. And then the first couple of months in 2010, and of course, when everybody gets caught, they stop automatically. (laughs) You know, I'm I'm busted, it's over with, I'm not doing it anymore. Um, And then the the most tragic thing that probably has and ever could happen to my family happened. And uh, my husband, the father of my children passed away from a freak accident Mm -hmm. on May 10th, May 9th, 2010. and that, that wasn't good, reliving those memories when that happened. Um, it was an accidental misfire of a rifle mm. and I watched it, a bullet to the head. And that was, he was probably about two and a half feet away from me. Um, I didn't believe it at first. And I didn't want to deal with it. And I immediately started acting out Um, I didn't step up and be the mother that I should have been for my children and be there for them. I immediately started drinking even more, um, working even more. Of course, I got to work more. Um, I was in nursing school at the same time, Mm. been in nursing school for a year and a half, almost completed it. Um, just gone all night, did the same thing my mom did, started bringing different men around, um, bar hopping. Mm. Not accepting what had happened. And then uh, a friend of mine had moved up here to help me take care of the kids. And that's when I was reintroduced to methamphetamine. Mm-hmm. And of course, after a few months of going to bed every night and reliving that incident mm-hmm. over and over and over, you don't want to sleep. Right. You want to stay awake the whole time. Yeah.
0: So what was the turning point moment? When did things start to turn around for you?
1: Um, things started to turn around for me in 2012. Um, once again, I was caught with methamphetamine, and this time I can honestly say it was not my fault. Okay, it was my <laughs> fault. I had let people into my home to do some remodeling work, and they were being watched by the narcotics officers and had drugs on them. Was I using at the time? No. Was I having people make it and sell it so I could make extra money? Yes. Mm. Um, so with me already being on probation from the first charge, of course, Sheriff's Department comes right in, and I said, so I knew it. <laughs> I said, Okay. Um, I went to jail. Mm. So a mere year and a half-ish after my children lost their dad, they're at school on a Friday morning, and the people coming to pick them up is defects and my mom and my stepdad. Mm. So they lost everything all over again.
2: Mm.
1: And this time, you know, I, I was helpless at first. I didn't know what to do. I just laid there and cried. Um... I was in jail for 86 days Mm. in Putnam, 10 days in Rockdale. During that time, I watched the girls go up to church once a week. And they would go and then come back, and it was just, it was totally different. Mm. The the environment, them. And I finally broke down and I said, I'm going to go. And um, I went a couple times. And three or four times then, I looked at the minister and I I just said I said how how can I make this right Mm. and she laid hands on me Mm. and you'd always seen it on TV and hear people talk about it but when she laid hands on me and they all circled around and started praying I could feel every demon in my body come out Mm. and I felt my heart open up and in that moment I accepted Jesus Christ as my savior
2: Mm.
1: and that was That was the turning point for my life, for my children's life. Mm. Immediately following that, I started making amends um, Mm. to all the people that I hurt. I had a few people at my side still, but I hurt a lot of people. Mm. Um, I made those amends. Uh, I knew I was in jail, and I wasn't going to get out until they were ready to let me out, if... That was the case. Blessed be it was the case. Mm. Um, but it was different. I felt different. I knew that I was not, I, it was just the start of the daily struggles I would have to deal with for the rest of my life. Mm. And it was the best start ever.
0: Mm. Um, yeah, so what are things like, so something like what happened to your husband is the kind of thing that you never really get over. So um, with that being said, as the pain of that comes back, whenever it does every day, every few days, every few months, whenever it does, what are things that stakes you drive in the ground to stay healthy and to stay um, on the up and up, you know what I mean? Um, And to continue to um, rise above playing the victim card and to just be able to keep things stable and peaceful and, you know, um, healthy.
1: Well, I was able to, um, gain an understanding from Christ or from God, um, that he didn't belong to me, that, um, he was, God created him for something else, for a greater purpose. Um, he I guess what keeps me going and keeps me on the right path every day is knowing that when God made Chad, he knew that 30-some years down the road, he was going to need him for another human being and that their daddy, Chad, saved um, two other people with his organs.
2: Mm.
1: And it's the one when things creep back up, when that one day rolls around a year, or I see that picture, I just know, you know, I'm so blessed to have those three parts of you left here on earth and to know that I was able to be with someone Who's was made for such a greater purpose?
0: Hmm. Um, let's talk about the CR stuff because a lot of people don't really know what it is, and there's just such a dumb stigma around recovery and stuff. People just ask if it's cool; they never really ask if it works, and it does work. It <laughs> and, does. and there is a reason for that. It's really just like the you know foundation of how life goes best. Um, but yeah, let's just talk about. Your experience with that and and you know what it's changed about your your daily life I guess
1: well celebrate recovery is by far the most amazing program there is um it was introduced to me by Pastor Dave at the First United Methodist Church and I started studying and looking into because the typical stereotype on it is for drug addicts and alcoholics right and celebrate recovery is not that celebrate recovery is for anyone that has anything that interferes in their relationship with Christ Um, I love it. I I go to Celebrate Recovery once a week. Uh, The steps, the programs, the step studies, the fellowship, everything is just absolutely amazing. It's somewhere you can go, no matter if you're having a good day or a bad day, or how you feel or how you don't feel. You go and you're there, and all that doesn't matter.
0: There are things that are a few unique things about it that I've been thinking about. One, it is the least corrupt of any like group thing I've been a part of. Because all the people in the front are as honest as they want you to be. And so because of that, it is just so open. Like, it is just so... No one is flexing at all. It is just so honest. It's one of the the only places I've ever been where honesty is, like, normative. And and like you said, there's so much peace that comes from that. The other thing um, that comes from people being super honest is when you do share heavy stuff, they're not awkwardly nice to you like like a normal church. If you share heavy stuff at a normal church, everyone treats you like you're their pet project or whatever, and it's a coping mechanism for them not to have to go there with you. So mm-hmm. if you get to be the little hurt duckling and I get to be fine, then I'll be super nice to you and then and we don't have to talk about what I'm doing. <laughs> But, um, if I were to get on your level with you, then I'd have to open up to the extent you did um, so it's a coping mechanism, but there it's not like that like people are um very empathetic and stuff, but they're not weirdly nice they don't try to they don't try to fix all the problems that you have. they just like are with you, and it's like a i don't know how else to explain it, you just feel like they're right where you are, and I've never felt that way really anywhere else in the world. How do you do what you can to not fall back into victor mentality, but to always stay victor mentality? Um, because you know, you've you've gone through enough things where you could play that card. Um, what keeps you from playing that card?
1: Um, a lot of things. Um, one, I did not raise my children the way I was raised. There's no private Catholic school. Um, They're public school children. I was more of a friend than a parent, you know, and that came out really well. Some people it doesn't, but for me, I have three best friends. Hmm. Uh, My son and my two daughters, they're more of a best friend than I could ever ask for. Um, And I know just every day I have to keep going for them. I can't fall back because for one, they're proud of me. Hmm. For two, I'm proud of myself. Hmm. For three, God's not going to let me. Hmm. He knows that he's given me too many blessings and too many wonderful gifts for me to fall back
2: hmm.
0: what do you say to people who just feel they wouldn't say this because they they're not supposed to but they just feel like God gave up on them that um, they willfully did something um, that they knew was self damaging and they just think God wrote them off and they know you're not supposed to say that um, so they don't but that's what they really believe um, just what do you say to someone in those shoes
1: that God didn't write them off um, They made a choice which was not wise, and they're hiding in shame, and he's simply waiting for them to reach out to him. Mm. He's just, he's there, he's just sitting in the corner.